Okay, today is July the 15th, 2010. We'll prepare ourselves in our usual way to study God's Word. We'll have a few moments of silent prayer, the option of confessing any unconfessed sins to God, which ensures the filling of the Holy Spirit. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your faithfulness, for your word, for the grace system of perception. We thank you for this day that you've given us. You've given us time to continue to grow in grace, to be able to have that appreciation for who and what you are, given us that hope, that absolute confidence about our large return. So we pray that you will help us to focus on these things, for we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. I got an email today that was from a blog. And I don't know a blog from a blog normally, but it, this was interesting. Uh, if, uh, the blog had a question about what is heaven, heaven like. And there were a lot of different uh, ideas. When you go to a blog like that and you have a doctrinal question, you find out how many people are really out to lunch when it comes to what the Bible has to say. This is uh, one of the comments. It said, Hi, this is my very first time to post a comment here. When, when a Christ follower dies, what happens next? It says, His spirit will be resting in Hades or paradise, referred by Jesus when the Son of Man was crucified on the cross. And when the end comes, Jesus will come back for the second time, call all the dead, and they will rise, those who do good and uh, will rise and live, and those who do evil will rise and be condemned. Now, you should be able to see that there's a lot of error in that. Of course, Hades and Paradise is where Old Testament believers went, and it is empty, it's gone. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 8, when Christ ascended into heaven, he took captivity with him. The Old Testament saints, their souls and spirit went to heaven, so they don't come from heaven anymore. And there's, it appears that this person thinks that there's only going to be a resurrection when Jesus Christ returns for everyone, and those who do the good will live and those who don't will die, and we know better than all that. The next one is somewhat sad, but it shows the abysmal ignorance when it comes to eschatology these days out in the masses. It says, what do you think it, meaning heaven, is or will be like? This says, heaven is God's footstool, but even when the end comes, the heaven and the earth will fade. I'm sorry, this isn't the one that's sad. It's the next one that's kind of sad. But this one is saying the heavens and earth will fade. God is not in heaven, but, excuse me, God is now in heaven, but even now, as referred to in the book of Revelation, one-third of the angels will be banished from heaven to join Satan. Uh, That's already happened. That's not eschatology. Heaven is like... What John said, jasper, gems, gold, and such beautiful place. 
Also in John 14, Jesus said he would go and prepare a place for us. He said he would have... This is kind of hard to read because the grammar is... uh, I'm trying to correct the grammar. I'll just read it like it is. He said he would have told us plainly if there is no room. But he now is going to prepare a place. Yea, I'm secure, my place in heaven. And there's a question mark there. So, uh, I don't understand that. And then it says, God, God saved me with a happy face. Then this is the one that was somewhat sad. I believe that heaven will be a place of beauty, rest, sincerity, and incredible peace, for I have been there. I had a child that died before birth, and an angel took us to heaven so that I could hold him, and then the angel took him across the creek to God. She said, talking about the angel, and you know the Bible, there, there are no female angels, at least not recorded in the Bible. She said that I could go, uh, couldn't go because I was not, uh, it was not my time to go yet. Now, here's the one posted by the person who sent this to me. And it's the one that made more sense than any other ones. And I say I smile because you'll see why when I read it to you. Uh, This is a website where you can download wonderful, accurate, understandable Bible teaching that answers these questions. Anyone interested needs to go to (laughs) www.countrybiblechurch.us. So... I don't know if anybody will do that, but it's the one that made more sense to me than any of the others. Of course, I might be a little bit prejudiced. Okay, let's get on with our knitting here. We're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 14. You can either open your Bible or you can look up here. We've already gone over verse 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. Of course, this was an answer to their dilemma. They knew about Jesus Christ's return, which we call the rapture, but they weren't sure about those who had already fallen asleep. We've spent a lot of time in the area of falling asleep. This is essentially what you might call a euphemism. Rather than say that they were dead, they cause them falling asleep because The body is essentially asleep when it's dead because for believers in Jesus Christ, when he returns, they're going to wake up. They're going to get up just like a body who has been asleep. Then we have this one line here that I think was rememberable. Whether we believers live or die, we have nothing to fear because Jesus will come either with us or for us. In any case, we're going to be with Jesus, and that is a hallelujah statement. And y'all are saying it inside, I know. 1 Thessalonians 4:15. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall not precede those who have fallen asleep. Now, I spent some time emphasizing the, the fact that Paul said, we who are alive and remain. And, that, and then lo- later on, in the next verse, we'll see that he uses this we again. Uh, both in verse uh, 17, is using we, which is including himself. So the point is, Paul recognized that Jesus Christ could return, the rapture could happen while he was still alive. And this is one of the arguments that would sus- 
substantiate the doctrine of the imminency of Christ's return. That means that Christ can return at any moment. There is a distinction between the soon coming of Christ and the imminent return of Christ. Christ never said that he was going to return soon. Nowhere does the Scripture teach that the coming will be soon, but consistently teaches that the coming can be expected at any time. And some believe that the rapture cannot occur until certain things happen first, which would mean we cannot anticipate it at any time before that. And that is, from my standpoint, a mischaracterization of Scripture, and it is error. Now, this is where we pick up the Scripture today, the 15th. And those who remain until the coming of the Lord. There will be a group of church-age believers who will be alive when Jesus Christ returns at the rapture. Paul thought it might be that he might be in that group, and now 2,000 years later, even we could be in that group. All believers should be looking forward to that day when the perishable shall put on the imperishable. And I think the older you are, the more you're looking up. Because this old perishable body gets more perishable every day, doesn't it? But we're going to have a body that is no longer perishable. It's going to be one that is like Christ, and we're going to be able to have no more pain. How about that? What a, what, what a time to anticipate. The next phrase, shall not precede those who have fallen asleep. This is where Paul started to answer the questions about the believers who had already died. They would not be forgotten, nor would they miss out on anything. In fact, they will receive their resurrection bodies an instant before believers still alive will, at Jesus' return, receive theirs. So if we are alive when Jesus Christ returns, those who have already fallen asleep, believers in the church age who have already died, are going to precede us. They're going to be coming out of their graves to go up to meet Christ in the air. And according to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the twinkling of an eye, in an instant, our corruptible bodies will be changed to the incorruptible. We will meet Christ in the air, and then we have that great promise, so shall we ever be with the Lord. What a wonderful time. Now, I know uh, young people have a harder time to get uh, animated about this than the older because they want to experience life. Uh, they want to be married, they want to have a family, they want to have all these things. But if they just had an inkling of what this was going to be like, they would be looking forward to it all the more. Now, when we have this, and those who have fallen asleep, we have uh, shall not. Let's go back up here to where our scripture is. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall not precede those who have fallen asleep. We're going to look at the shall not here for just a moment. The shall not is a double negative in the Greek. U means negative or no, and may, M-E, looks like me in the English, but it's an A instead of epsilon, and so it's pronounced may. A double negative is correct in the Greek. It's wrong in English, but in the Greek, you don't find them all the time. It's somewhat rare. And when you find them, it's saying uh, it's very emphatic. It's the strongest way to express the negative in the Greek. We might express it by saying there is no way 
there's no way on earth or it's impossible for us who remain to precede those who have fallen asleep. So this gave the believers of that day great comfort and solace knowing that those who they loved had already uh, died, they'd already fallen asleep, were going to even precede them. They were going to get a resurrection body an instant before they would if Christ returned while they were still alive. Now, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. Big-time verses that we're going over here. I mean, these are colossal. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. We'll look at this first. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven. According to Acts chapter 1, verse 9 and 11, this is where you find the account where Jesus was talking to His disciples and what happened. The next thing you know, He's going vertical. I remember when Dr. Robbie Dean taught here on the ascension, he had a, a PowerPoint that I never have forgotten. What you see in the PowerPoint are these uh, few men standing around and they had the dress on of that day. You could see, see that they were of uh, Christ uh, uh, time frame. And they were all standing there. At the very top of the picture, you could just see from the knees down. It was Christ taken off. Now, all you could see was his feet. And they are going, you know, they, can you imagine? Well, what would you do if you were standing there talking to somebody? Even if you, he told them what was going to happen, but the next thing you know, they go vertical on you. You'd be, your, your chin would be touching your chest also. You'd just be awesome, unbelievable. Well, that's how he took off. He went to, to heaven. He, already, he told us in John chapter 14 that uh, he was going to go to prepare a place for us and that uh, he would return. And so it's Acts 1, 9 through 11 gives the details on his ascension, including how he would return in like manner. So as they were standing there gawking at Christ as he disappeared into the heavens, an angel said, what are you gawking at? He's going to return in the same fashion. Now, the reason I'm telling you this is because what is described in Acts chapter uh 1, verse 9 through 11, is not what we're talking about in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. In, first, uh, for in Acts chapter 1, verse 9 and 11, it's talking about he took off from earth. It says how he's going to return, but it's not the return that we're talking about in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. That is not the way he's going to return in the rapture. He's not going to touch planet earth. However, our large return... Uh, stated here is not referring to the return mentioned in Acts uh, 1.11, which is the second advent, or the second coming. He's really talking about when he returns to set up his millennial kingdom. That is the mode. That's how it's going to happen, but that's not what we're talking about. And we have to make sure that we don't get these two mixed up, which we'll go into more detail of that in a moment. Jesus Christ is coming back to earth two times in the future. Two more times. The first is called the rapture. The second is called the second advent. They are not, repeat, not the same advent. Not the same event, I should say. Um, and when Jesus Christ returns to get his bride, the church, he is not going to come and get the Old Testament believers at the same time. There are some who are confused about that also. 
And I'm going to substantiate that with verses in just a few moments. They are not the same event. The Old Testament saints receive their resurrection bodies at the second advent, at the end of the tribulation. Now, there's people, oh, you can't believe how many people are mixed up on this. So we have to make sure we know what we're talking about. So let's go to Isaiah chapter Isaiah chapter 26. By the way, I would advise you to write these verses down somewhere because there's not many people who, who know when the Old Testament believers are going to receive their resurrection bodies and even less that could find them with regards to Scripture. So these are the ones. These are key. These are even so important you might want to write them in one of the empty pages on your Bible so you can refer to them. Isaiah chapter 26. This is uh, Isaiah the prophet, and he's talking to... By the way, who's he talking to here? He's talking to uh, Old Testament, or the reference is to Old Testament believers. This has nothing to do with the church. You cannot find the church in the Old Testament. So this is not referring to the church. Verse 19, your dead will live, their corpses will rise. You who lie in the dust, awake and shout for joy, for your dew is the dew of the dawn, and the earth will give birth to the departed spirits. This is a description of what is going to happen at the second advent when Jesus Christ returns to set up his millennial kingdom. This is when Old Testament saints get their resurrection bodies. This is one of the descriptions of it there. Now, turn to Ezekiel chapter 37. Ezekiel's right before Daniel. If we had time, if we had a couple more hours, I would go over this whole chapter. Ezekiel 37, famous passage of the Valley of Dry Bones. But at the end of this part about the, the dry bones, you have this, starting in verse 12, 12 through 14. Another description. Look at this. Therefore prophesy and say to them, that would be to these Old Testament believers, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves, my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. Now, there is a little question here. I'll describe that in a moment. Uh, verse 13. Then you will know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves and caused you to come out of your graves, my people, and I will put my spirit within you and you will come to life and I will place you on your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and done it, declares the Lord. Now, that sounds very much like it's referring to the second advent when Old Testament believers get their resurrection bodies. But there is some debate about this. Uh, there are some who say this is somewhat symbolic language because in Ezekiel 37, you don't have graves. You have dry bones laying all over the surface of the ground. And they, they're saying this is really actually referring more to a regathering than it is a resurrection. But I'm giving it to you anyway because... It certainly sounds like it's talking about the resurrection coming out of the graves. There's just some debate as to whether 
uh, the subject has changed now in verse 12 and is talking about the resurrection or not. But I want you to notice one thing. It says um, in verse 13, Then you will know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves and caused you to come out of your graves. And then it says, I put my spirit in you and you will come to life and I will place you in your own land. See, there's no way that this can be referring to the church because what happens to the church when they are resurrected? They meet Christ in the air and where do they go from there? They go back to heaven with Him. They don't go to their own land. This is is talking about another situation. Now turn to Daniel chapter 12. It's the next chapter. Daniel chapter 12, and we'll start with verse 1. Daniel chapter 12. Now at that time, Michael, that is referring to the archangel Michael. By the way, Michael is the only angel named as an archangel. Uh, and we're not certain whether there are more than one. Um, it's let's see. I think it's in Daniel. Is it ten three? Let's see. No, I don't remember the scripture. Anyway, uh, Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people. This is talking about the Israelites. Will arise, and there will be a time of distress. distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until the time and, and until that time. And I want you to understand that's referring to what? The tribulation. There is a scripture, Matthew twenty four twenty one, that describes it uh, uh, in a very similar way. And that time, your people, everyone who is found written in the book, this is referring to the book of life, found in Revelation 13.8 is one of the places. And at that time, everyone who is found written in the book will be rescued. And then it's going to elaborate on that in verse 2. And many of those who sleep in the dust. What is this talking about? Those who are dead, those who are believers who have already died. This is Old Testament believers. And many of those Old Testament believers who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake these to everlasting life and others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. But that those two resurrections are not at the same time. We have the Old Testament saints being resurrected at the second advent and they're going to be resurrected to life But the other ones that are mentioned in here is not the same time. This is going to happen at the great white throne judgment at the end of human history. Uh, Verse 3, and those who have insight, we we would might say those who have doctrine, will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever, just describing there are, there are going to be 
rewards, maybe decorations for Old Testament believers, but it's not going to happen until the second advent. That's what this is describing. This has nothing to do with the church. Again, the Old Testament has nothing to say about the church. It was a mystery to them. Now turn to Revelation chapter 11, verse 18. Verse 18, And the nations were enraged, and thy wrath came. Now, you, you could just put there that that's talking about the tribulation. The wrath of God came. See, God's going to judge the entire earth. And the wrath came, and the time came for the dead to be judged. And the time came to give their reward to thy bondservants and prophets and to the saints and to those who fear the name, thy name, the small and the great, and to destroy those who destroy the earth. That last part is talking about the baptism of fire it's talking about when Jesus Christ returns at the second advent, all unbelievers are going to exit the earth. Part of their judgment. Baptism of fire. That's that last part. So here we have another illustration of the resurrection of Old Testament saints. Then you can turn now to Revelation chapter 20. One more spot here. All of these are taking place, these different resurrections at different times to different people. Revelation chapter 20 and verse 4. And I saw the thrones, and they that sat upon them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of the testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God. Those who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received the mark upon their forehead and upon their hand. And they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Now this is going to occur also at the second advent. These are the tribulational martyrs. So those believers who died during the tribulation, they're not Old Testament saints, but they're in an Old Testament age, the resumption of the Old Testament under the, uh, under, um, the seven years, Daniel 70 years and so forth. Now this rest, I wrestled with this verse and I finally had to give up because I was trying to make it say something that I thought was very interesting, but I can't, I can't exactly do it. Look at verse 5. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. 
And it says, this is the first resurrection. Now, I was trying to make a case that, okay, the rest of the dead did not come alive for the, uh, another thousand years. And I'm thinking, well, these would be millennial saints. In other words, what happens, every, you have all these different resurrections because God has a plan for each people. And you have the, uh, we can go to 1 Corinthians 15 in a minute. We'll look at it and see that uh, uh, Christ is the first fruits. And then those, the, the next is, is another group. And it's, but it's in, it's in sections or it's in uh, it's one group. In other words, let me put it this way. The first, Jesus Christ is the first fruit. He is the first. In fact, right now, he is the only person ever to have a resurrection body. He was the first fruit. Then there's going to be others who come around. The second group is going to be the ones that I'm looking at right now. You're the next on the agenda that are going to get your resurrection bodies. That's going to happen at the rapture. We don't know when it's going to happen, but we know that it's going to happen. The next group after that is going to be at the second advent. And you have really two groups of people. You have Old Testament believers... Uh, that would be all those, uh, uh, David and Saul and Daniel and Ezekiel, all these Moses. They're all going to be resurrected at the second advent when Jesus comes. And also the tribulational martyrs who stood for Christ at that time also are going to get their resurrection bodies then. And that whole group is called the first resurrection. Then you have another resurrection. It's called the second resurrection. And that is the resurrection of unbelievers that's going to take place at the great white throne, which will be at the end of the millennium. And so I was thinking in verse 5, well, look at it again. We see the martyrs are going to get their resurrection bodies at the second advent. And uh, then verse 5 said, The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. And I'm thinking, okay, well, what about the, the believers who died during the millennium? And people say, well, you've got a problem there because people don't die during the millennium, but they do. There are going to be people who are murderers or whatever criminals they are. Uh, Jesus Christ is going to be in charge, and they will be executed. And there are going to be, no doubt, some that are believers that do something uh, guilty of capital punishment, and they could be... Uh, dead, and they wouldn't live again for a thousand years. Uh, that was my thinking. The only thing, um, I was battling the colonel on this one, I think the colonel won out, because he said <laughs> that this first phrase, the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed, is parenthetical. There's a parenthesis there. In other words, he just interrupted the, the train of thought with a parenthetical thought, and this would be the unbelievers. He's just inserting a parenthetical, and then it goes on. This is the first resurrection. The first resurrection is talking about what happened in verse 4. And about any, any of the people that are resurrected, all the believers are going to be resurrected. Christ was the first fruits. The church is going to be there at the rapture. Second advent, you're going to have Old Testament saints, and you're going to have tribulational martyrs. All those are going to be resurrected in the first resurrection. And that's what it's saying, but this parenthetical is saying at the end of this thousand years, uh, there's going to be, uh, the others are going to come to life. And he's saying that this is unbelievers, and he's probably right on it. I just thought it would be a good time, because what about the, the believers that lived during the millennium? You know, they've got to get a resurrection body sometimes. 
And I thought, well, maybe this could be it. And I struggled with it, so I'm just going to tell you, I'm, I'm conceding that that's probably parenthetical and talking about unbelievers, but believers during that thousand-year reign at some point are going to get a resurrection body. And if this isn't talking about it, we just have to uh, deduce that they'll get their resurrection bodies at the end of the millennium, at the end of the thousand years. At the very end of the millennium, Satan is going to be loosed from the bottomless pit. He is going to foment a revolution called the Gog Revolution. And it's going to be a big one. It's going to be very similar to what happened at the Second Advent. They're going to merge on Jerusalem and try to take it over again. And God is simply going to wipe them out with fire. And that ends human history as we know it. And then the great white throne comes. I would assume that's when... Millennial saints get their resurrection bodies, but I'm just just saying that. Okay, now, I'm, I'm very adamant about you understanding that there is a big difference between what is happening at the rapture when Jesus Christ comes for us and what happens at the second advent. So I made a PowerPoint, and here it goes. This is not in your notes. I guess if you want, I can... Uh, put this all together and give you a printout on it. If you don't feel like writing it down, that's, uh, I, I can do that if that's what you want to do. But main thing, I want you to see, they are not the same event. Totally different. So we'll start right here with point number one. The rapture, you have believers meeting Christ in the air. And in the second advent, he touches earth. We saw in Acts chapter 1, uh, verse 11, uh, Christ is ascended. He says he's going to come back to the same place. Now, we go to other places. But by the way, why, where was that? Where did he take, where did he launch from? The Mount of Olives. Where is he going to return? Mount of Olives, same place. And, it's, and there's a vivid description there. It's going to split open. There's going to be a huge earthquake. Everything, the whole topography of the earth is going to change. It is going to be a huge event. So, but different those are completely different. Jesus Christ does not touch earth when he comes for us. Number two, in the rapture, believers are taken. All believers are taken. Second un advent, unbelievers are taken. How can you get any, <laughs> any more opposite than that? Uh, this is what's called the baptism of fire. Completely different. Number three, we have the bride is claimed. In other words, Jesus Christ is the groom. He's coming back to get us. We're the body of Christ now. We'll be called the bride of Christ. He's coming to earth to claim his bride. As opposed to the second advent, the bride returns with Christ. Remember when we were talking about the soul sleep just the other day? I said there's one thing that's absolutely certain. Believers cannot come back with Christ if they hadn't gone to heaven to be with him to begin with, can they? So, believers are coming back with Jesus. I didn't give you all the verses. It'd take forever to give you all the verses and go over them. I'm just trying to give you a, 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 a brief description here. Number four. After the rapture, the tribulation begins. Now, I'm not saying that the rapture of the church, when we leave, that instantly, at that point, the rapture begins. Because the rapture, according to the Bible, especially in Daniel chapter 9, says that it's, it's not going to happen until there is a contract that the Antichrist makes with Israel. That's what starts the clock ticking for 
the tribulational period. That's the last 70 weeks of Daniel that it's called. It's going to, the, not the 70 week, the last week of the 70 weeks. And it's going to last seven years. But we don't know exactly how long it's going to be from the time that we go vertical to the time that the rapture, I mean, that the tribulation actually begins. We just don't have a handle on that. I don't think it's going to be a long time. Maybe it's a few days. Maybe it's a month. Maybe it's a... It could be a matter of years, though. It could be a year, two years. I have no idea. So there is a one uh, nebulous place in there we don't know. But essentially, the next thing on God's agenda after we are out of here with the rapture is the tribulation. We know that. As far as the second advent, we know when the second advent occurs... When Jesus Christ returns, the millennium is going to begin. Now, there's a matter of days in there. There's got to be a lot of cleanup because it's, when Jesus Christ comes back, he is going to sort things out, and he's not going to negotiate with anyone. He's going to rule with a rod of iron, and there's going to be a mess. It's going to take time to clean it up, but essentially we know the next thing on God's agenda when Jesus Christ returns that the kingdom the millennial kingdom is going to begin. So we have opposites here again. Number five, the rapture is imminent. It can happen at any time. Paul, Peter, the apostles knew that you, you could be looking up because Christ could have returned during their lifetime. As opposed to the second advent, it's going to be preceded by signs. I mean... If you were alive when this contract is made, which I suppose none of you are going to be, did you get that? You understand? This is a hypothetical. If you were alive during that time, then you could say, okay, I'll get my calendar out. I'm going to start counting. And seven years from today, Jesus Christ is going to return. Or you could go three and a half years. In the midpoint of the tribulation, you're going to have the abomination of desolation that Daniel said was going to happen. The Antichrist is going to go into the temple. There will be another temple, and he's going to desecrate it. He's going to demand that everybody start worshiping him. And when that happens, you could say, okay, I'll just count another three and a half uh, years, and then I know when Christ is going to come. So there are signs, there are definite things that have to take place before the second advent occurs, but not the rapture. Number six, the rapture brings comfort. We should be anticipating Christ with bated breath. Can't wait till Jesus Christ returns. He's the only one that can straighten this mess out, and I have no doubt about that. As opposed to number six, second advent brings judgment. Second advent is going to bring judgment. God has been storing up his wrath all this time. And you know, I said we're coming back with Christ. In fact, in uh, Revelation... Uh, chapter um, 19 and 20, it talks about Christ returning. He's going to clean house. What do we have to do? What is our job? <laughs> watch. How about that? You like that kind of job? All we have to do is watch. What a show. Number seven. The rapture is the program for the church. We are in the program that is different than any other. And the as opposed to the second advent, is the program is for Israel. The whole thing is that Israel has been stiff-necked. They have rebelled against God. And this last seven years, 
of the 490 years of Daniel's 70th week, the last portion of that time is for unbelievers, stiff-necked Israel. It's for unbelievers. God is going to judge the entire world for their unbelief. Because at the rapture, we're all gone anyway. Why would anyone think that believers are going to go through the tribulation, any part of it, because it's designed for Israel and their unbelief. We're not Israel and we're not unbelievers. Number eight, the church is a mystery. It was a mystery in the Old Testament. You go to the Old Testament and it's just like there were valleys. Anytime that there was something, you could look and you can see the, the mountain peaks. You can see all the prophecy that regarded uh, even Christ's uh, first coming, first advent. Uh, there's a lot of scriptures about that. There's uh, scriptures about uh, Israel in 70 A.D. going out, and this is the great diaspora. This is when they were going to be dispersed. There's a lot of uh, information about the uh, tribulational period. There's a lot of uh, information about the millennial period. But when it comes to the church, nada, nothing, zilch, because it's a mystery. It's even called a mystery. Several times, the mystery doctrines of the church age, and as opposed to in the second advent, they knew about the second advent in the Old Testament and as well as in the New Testament. It's no mystery. So that's another distinction. Number nine, you have Christians are judged after the rapture. Now, um, you understand what I'm talking about, hopefully. We're talking about the judgment seat of Christ. Better would be evaluated. But they're going to be judged as to see if they are going to get rewarded. Decorations, crowns, privileges, opportunities, and so forth. As opposed to the second advent, you have Gentiles and Jews are going to be judged. But what's the difference about this judgment? God is going to gather all the Gentiles and Jews. Notice, no church here. You have Jews, you have Gentiles, and you have the church. Three distinct people. And at the, in, in, in the end of the tribulation, it's talking about, uh, in, this is in uh, Revelation, I mean, excuse me, Matthew chapter 25. It's talking about the, they're going to gather all of the Jews and Gentiles, but nothing about the church there, because we're not going to we're not going to be going through that. So when Christ returns, and this is something else interesting. I don't know if I'll get to it. I probably won't get to it tonight, but I'll tell you this. This is another distinction that I didn't put in here. When Jesus Christ returns, who's coming to get us? Jesus is right. And I know there's a there's a deal about the voice of the angel. I'll handle that later. But he's not sending angels to get us, is he? Did he send angels at the uh, Pentecost when this age started? No. God the Holy Spirit came, personally. And he came to, he's going to come and get us. But at the second advent, he's going to send angels throughout all the four corners of the earth and gather the Jews and the Gentiles. He sends angels for them. He comes after us personally. Isn't that an honor? I didn't make that distinction, but that's another one on there. So he's going to gather the Jews and Gentiles, and what is he going to gather them for? To judge them to see if they're, if they're believers, they're going to go into the millennial kingdom. If they are unbelievers, they're going to be tossed off the earth into torments, waiting to be judged at the great white throne. That's the judgment there. 
There also is going to be a judgment in another sense for those who are believers, Old Testament believers that are resurrected, are evidently going to be judged to see if they're going to have uh, rewards or not at that point. Y'all ready for the next page? I'm sorry I'm pressing on, but I don't have much time and I want to get through this. Y'all ready? Okay, here we go. Here's some more. Number 10. The rapture, you have creation unchanged. Now, there's going to be a mess because there's going to be pilots that are taken, bus drivers, and, you know, if they're at the wheel and like a plane. I tell you what, what, they, if, what the airline should do if they were smart, if they, this will never happen, but they should make sure that on every flight they have at least one believer and one unbeliever that's in the cockpit. In fact, that wouldn't be a good idea to go in there before you get on a flight. Uh, say, uh, I just want to ask you all something. Are both you all believers? And if they are, you might say, well, I might want to get another flight. <laughs> well, I say that tongue-in-cheek. I mean, our, our, uh, our trust is in the Lord. Well, I guess, well, it wouldn't matter. We'd be gone anyway, wouldn't we? Okay, again, this would be hypothetical. I'm, I'm talking to people that don't even fly. If you were an unbeliever, if you were an unbeliever, you wouldn't be asking them that anyway. All right, forget it. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Those that reject the gospel that you know, tell them, hey, when you get on a flight, <laughs> check it out. If two unbeliever pilots, that's fine. A believer and unbeliever, that's fine. Two believers, uh, you better get on another flight. All right, number 11. Oh, well, I, I kind of hastened through that. It's unchanged, number 10 is, the, the, the creation. However, the second advent creation is going to be completely changed. The curse is going to be lifted off the earth. The environment is going to be so wonderful you can't believe it. The green folks would uh, have, a, have a, well, they'd have a good time. Number 11, Israel covenant unfulfilled. Israel covenants have nothing to do with us. We're not Israel. And these are literal covenants that are going to take place after Christ returns and starts up his millennial kingdom. As opposed to, of course, second advent, Israel covenants are going to be fulfilled. I'm not saying they're going to be fulfilled instantly when Christ returns, but he's going to set up his millennial kingdom. And that's when those four unconditional covenants are going to be fulfilled. Number 12, evil is not judged. We're off the earth. And in fact, at this point, when all believers are going to live, leave, according to Second Thessalonians chapter 2, it's going to get worse because we're going to take the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, that influence with us, and things are going to get worse. So it, evil is not judged as opposed to Second Advent. Evil is going to be judged. Isn't it? It's going to be such a wonderful uh, thing to see the, the contrast because we think we live in evil times now, and we do. But there's nothing compared to how evil it's going to get. And it's going to be the worst of times ever. And they're going to go from the worst of times to the absolute best of times. What contrast? Number 13, this happens before the day of wrath. The day of the Lord is not going to occur until we're gone, until we're out of here. And uh, I wish I had more time to talk about the day of the Lord, but I don't. The day of the Lord 
I'll just tell you ahead of time, is when Jesus Christ is going to set everything straight. But it's not just going to last during the tribulation. It's going to last through the tribulation, second advent, all the way to the end of the millennium. We saw that in Second Peter right there towards the end when we uh, saw that. So we're going to be here before this wrath is going to be poured out on the entire earth for the Israel who has been stiff-necked and rebelled against God. And God isn't doing it only because He's a just God. He's doing, them, but doing it because He loves them. And it's going to take that for these stiff-necked people to recognize who Jesus Christ is and that they murdered their Messiah. Nothing less than that is going to do it. Second Advent is after the day of the wrath. Or I, maybe I should not say after. Maybe I should say during the day of wrath. Because the day of wrath, the day of the Lord, is going to continue from the tribulation all the way to the uh, end of the millennium. Number 14. It's for believers only. The only people who are going to be affected by the rapture when Jesus Christ returns are going to be believers. Now, to a degree, some, you could say, well, yes, unbelievers are going to be affected because they're going to lose loved ones and there's going to be chaos in the street. All that's going to happen. But I'm talking about as far as God's plan is concerned, it's only the believers that he's dealing with at that point. Boom, they're gone. They're off the earth. As opposed to number 14, it, uh, second advent is going to affect all men. Everybody that's on the earth, they're going to be divided into Jew and Gentile. And they're all going to be judged as to, as to whether they are sheep or goats. They're going to be, Jesus Christ is going to determine who is believers, who are not. The goats are going to be taken off the earth, and some of the sheep will be rewarded. That would be Old Testament believers and the tribulational saints. Number 15, the Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. In other words, uh, this is... Something that uh, I know that you think, well, is he talking about the imminency? No, I'm just talking about God's plan. On the agenda, the rapture means the Lord is at hand, but for those in the second advent, it's going to be the kingdom that is at hand. Do you understand? So it's the kingdom that is next on the agenda, and for us, it's the Lord. In other words, we're waiting on the Lord. We're not waiting on the kingdom. That's, maybe I should uh, word it in a different way that way. And then the last one, number 16, believers only see Christ. We're going to see Christ, and we're going to see... Who else are we going to see? We're going to see all those believers that have been asleep. I just did a little memorial service for Joe Hutchison before we had this Bible class, and we're going to see him. And he's going to look a lot different. And we are too, by the way. So only believers see Christ... Second Advent, everyone is going to see Christ. And there it's going to be, we're talking about things that are so earth-shaking. They are so tremendous, it's hard for us to fathom. And when I study these things, sometimes I feel like Daniel, who says, I can't take any more, you know, I'm, I'm so full. Doesn't this make you feel alive to think about what's ahead of you? All these things that Christ is going to do and what we have to look forward to. We're going to be alive and see all these things. The great contrast. Only we're not going to be a part of the horror of the tribulation. When Jesus Christ, He hasn't assigned us 
uh, 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 heavenly M1, what was it, M16. I'll start to say M1. That shows how old I am. And, and say, okay, you've got a quota. You've got to get, uh, you know, whoever. Now, everything is in Christ's hands. And we have the high honor to see him uh, go to work on our behalf. And when he... See, it's not... It's not going to be a pretty sight, but it's going to be very necessary. And I think any of us who have a sense of righteousness recognize that when justice is done, even when there are those who have been evil for a period of time, when they get theirs, it's not necessarily something that you applaud, but it's something that is good and it's right. And it's necessary. And we're going to see our our Lord take care of the whole kit and caboodle. I can't wait. It all just starts essentially for us when Jesus Christ returns and gets us. In the meantime, we just stick to our knitting and continue to sort these things out. And it's real important for you to understand these things because there are so many people out there. When you get, first of all, when you talk about the rapture itself, oh, well, it's not, it's no such thing as a rapture because it's not in the Bible. Well, it is too. It's in the Latin Bible, raptura. But whether it is or not, we're in the middle of the Scriptures to say it's going to happen. Now, and some people say, are you out of your gourd? That couldn't happen. How is God going to take someone who was eaten by a shark, who was eaten by a whale, and, uh, you know, whoever else? Are, are, what about those at Hiroshima and Nagasaki when the atom bombs hit and they were vaporized? How is he going to bring them back to life? I don't, I don't, that's so easy for me. I mean, if God, Jesus Christ, who created the universe, could create it all in an instant out of nothing, you think that's going to be a problem? I'm so, it's wonderful. I mean, it just makes you feel alive, doesn't it? People think of death and it's being final, it's over. We're just, it's just a, we're, if we die before Christ comes, we're going to be with Him anyway. We're going to see Him face to face. And then what do we have to look forward to? We have to look forward to what we're reading about right here. But you have to be very careful in this part of Scripture because there are so, there's so many who are confused about it. Some say it doesn't happen at all. Some say that we're still going to go through the tribulation or at least a part of it. Some say there is no tribulation uh, in the millennium. It's already happened. <laughs> Preterist, what's, the, what's going on with that? Like all these things already happened. Well, I would like to ask a preterist, oh, okay, you're a believer, right? When did you get the, uh, when did the, uh, you know that believers are going to have a mark on their foreheads also. Where's your, where's your mark? And uh, tell me about the, the mark of the beast. It's on your hand or your forehead. When did that come about? When it's just absurd. And yet people buy into these ideas. This is why I'm going to these other scriptures. Do you know, I, I, you can put this to the test if you want to. You could go to your believer friends, the ones that have the most doctrine. And I'm not a betting guy, but if I was, I'd bet you a dollar to a donut. That used to, I guess I'd have to be, make the ratio different now. But anyway, <laughs> I would bet the chances are very slim that they know what happens to Old Testament believers with regards to a resurrection body. Very few know what happens to them 
when it's going to happen, how it's going to happen, where it's going to happen. Not only do they not know about their own resurrection, they don't know about them, the, the, the Old Testament believers either. Isn't it great that we can sort these things out? Because the Bible is very clear on these things. Well, I'm out of time. And that's a shame because I have just begun to fight. Yes. Yeah. I know I know a woman one time that filled out instructions on what to do about the house and put them uh, on the corner. These people lived in a log house. And <laughs> she felt sorry for her pets. And she was giving them instructions as to what to do and also information about the gospel that they would need. You might think that's a weird idea, but it's probably not that far out. I mean, if you're, if you're serious about eschatology and you believe what the Bible says, it can happen at any time. So, we'll continue this next time. Let's close. Father, thank you for this treat to be in this portion of your word where we can focus on our Lord Jesus Christ and his faithfulness. He said he went to prepare a place for us and he is going to return to gather us to himself. And there's nothing required of us. We go along for the ride and what a ride. We're so thankful for these scriptures that are encourage us. They inspire us. We just can't wait until our Lord returns and puts all this into gear. We thank you for this. Pray that we will have proper appreciation and be able to impart this great hope to other people. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.